We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 505 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Friday, February 10th, 2023, the Friday before Super Bowl 57. Let's get this out of the way. I like the Kansas City Chiefs to win the game. It feels like the entire world is picking the Philadelphia Eagles. Give me the Chiefs. Uh, boy, they better win. <laughs> I have no interest in a second Eagles Super Bowl title in six seasons. And this also is the day after a bonkers NBA trade deadline day. Did you enjoy your NBA trade deadline day? The final 24 hours before that NBA trade deadline on Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern saw a remarkable 16 trades completed involving 49 players and 25 teams. 49 players. That works out to nearly 10% of all players in the NBA. But not among those players was a single Wizards player. No trades by the Wizards on NBA trade deadline day. Uh, ESPN NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski on Thursday did report that the Wiz are working on a buyout of Will Barton, uh, who is no longer even in the Wizards rotation, despite Barton having been a good player for the Denver Nuggets as recently as last season. But the Wizards' plan pretty clearly is to re-sign Kyle Kuzma and Chris Dams Porzingis, if need be, and run it back with the big three. And I put the big three in quotation marks, the big three being Kyle Kuzma, Chris Dabbs, Porzingis, and of course, Bradley Beal. And uh, hey, just hope for better health next season. Run it back and hope for better health. Exciting, isn't it? Uh, we'll see if our team can reach that uh, oh-so-high ceiling of 46 regular season wins. Kuzma has a $13 million player option for next season. You know that he's opting out. Uh, Porzingis has a $36 million player option for next season. It's a little trickier whether he'll opt out. Uh, the Wizards, by the way, are taking a big chance and not trading Kuzma and just assuming that they'll re-sign him because they could end up losing him for nothing or next to nothing 
Yeah, if he does a sign and trade, but the Wizards did play this game with Beal, and uh, he did resign. Uh, Lucky Wizards, a five-year, $251 million Supermax contract. Hello and welcome to this Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. This is another show packed with Commander's news and conversation. It's great to have you with us. Breaking news on Thursday night on the sale of the Commanders, along with news from Thursday afternoon on the sale of the Commanders. And all of this news, very interestingly, pushes back on the news of Wednesday afternoon. I'll explain next segment. Uh, I'm then going to get into more of what Commanders head coach Ron Rivera had to say in making the media rounds on Wednesday. We know that Ron, for the first time, publicly confirmed that Sam Howell is positioned to be the Commanders QB1 for next season. Well, Ron also was very specific about the Commanders overall quarterback plan for this offseason. I have a lot to say about that. I'm also going to get into Ron expressing uncertainty over whether he's going to exercise the fifth-year option in edge defender Chase Young's rookie contract. Uh, That is significant beyond the obvious reason, Uh, so I'm going to spend some time on that. And quarterback Taylor Heineke, he had some notable things to say on the Pat McAfee show on Thursday afternoon. I will be getting into that. Also on the show, a terrific guest, Capitals insider Tariq El-Bashir of The Athletic. Uh, The Caps' lengthy break finally ends this weekend. We will go in-depth on what has been a wild cap season so far, including what the Caps are thinking regarding the NHL trade deadline on March 3rd at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Always know that this show covers the Caps like no other show. Great perspective from the great Tariq El-Bashir is coming up later in the show. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I have multiple emails on recent celebrity meetings. Uh, First up, this email from Chris Durham on something that happened with him last weekend. Writes Chris, first off, congratulations on 500 episodes of the podcast. Keep up the great work. I'm a regular listener. I wanted to share that I had the honor of meeting the nature boy, Ric Flair. Last weekend at Baltimore Celeb Fest 6, it was a real honor to meet one of the all-time greats. Thank you for the email, Chris. And Chris, in his email, includes a picture of himself with Ric Flair, the nature boy. You can't just say the nature boy. No, you have to say the nature boy. (laughs) Uh, The most complete pro wrestling package of all time when you talk about drawing power, in-ring skills, promos, and longevity. Those four big things, you put them all together, ain't nobody ever been better than the nature boy. And he is the man who is responsible for a question that we all need to ask from time to time. What's causing all this? And we always want to know one thing, what's causing all this? That's right, Nate. What's causing all this? Uh, Email from Dr. CCB on something that happened this week, writes Dr. CCB, who works at Joint Base Anacostia Bowling, a.k.a. JBAB. I, on Wednesday, had the pleasure to listen to Skins team president Jason Wright. He came on base at JBAB as the guest speaker in honor of Black History Month. He is a phenomenal speaker. He seems to be intelligent and down to earth. He also has a little humor with him. One thing that I learned was he is a former member of 
of the intelligence community. He was here for an hour and participated in a Q&A session. He admitted that upon accepting the job, the environment was more messed up than he knew. He had to terminate 80% of personnel, but he now feels that the organization is at a place at which the organization has the right group of people in place. When I heard that, though, I kind of laughed knowing the uncertainty of leadership positions due to the impending sale of the team. There seems to be so much uncertainty, but he feels like the team has the right personnel in place. LOL. Just thought I'd share and get your thoughts. Have a great day and talk to you soon. Uh, Thank you for that email, Dr. CCB. Glad that you had a good experience with President Jason. Uh, Look, I would not be surprised at all if the new ownership of the commanders comes in and ends up totally cleaning house. Now, maybe the total cleaning of the house doesn't happen right away. Like maybe the new ownership first cleans the basement, okay? And then a few months go by and then the new ownership cleans upstairs. uh, And then a few more months go by and then the new ownership cleans the kitchen, okay? Uh, I don't know. But it's hard to think that new ownership would spend $6 billion plus to buy the commanders and then not bring in its own people. Uh, Jason Wright is very well connected. He will be just fine if he's not retained. He does seem like a good guy. I've never felt like he's some terrible person, but I do think that he has been in over his head with all that he has had to deal with. Uh, I mean, he has presided over multiple major screw-ups. There's no debating that. We've talked about these screw-ups. And even if you say, hey, what do you expect working for the Danny, the co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder? Okay, fine. But the Danny factor doesn't just absolve Jason of all blame. Well, if someone is to blame for harm that you or someone who you care about has suffered, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is dedicated to promoting the rights of seriously injured persons and their families. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who cause clients' harm more than the offers benefit the clients. And this is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. And that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you.
Paulson and Ace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Ace. So I on Thursday's show, episode 504, talked about the latest encouraging news regarding the sale of the commanders. Encouraging, assuming that you want the co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder to sell the team. I guess if for some strange twisted reason that you don't want that, uh, then the news was discouraging. But Fox Business Network senior correspondent Charles Gasparino, he on Wednesday afternoon tweeted, quote, scoop. NFL sources say sale of commanders will take place weeks after Super Bowl and owners meeting in March. Despite denials, most people in NFL circles think Jeff Bezos will bid after initial bids are in. Given his wealth, he's most capable to make numbers work for a purchase, end quote. And I talked about this being yet another report providing reason to believe that, yeah, Dan Snyder is selling the commanders. This is happening and sooner rather than later. Well, it's amazing how things can go. We on Thursday had not one, but two reports that at the very least raise some concerns about the sale of the commanders. Sports business insider A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports on Thursday afternoon reported that Dan Snyder wants at least $7 billion for the commanders. $7 billion, uh, but so far is not getting that. Quote, there haven't been many revelations on the commander's sale since front office sports reported last month that bidders were told Snyder was looking to offload at least a majority stake of the team. One factor for the lack of news, Snyder appears to be holding out for a $7 billion bid for the franchise. Two sources with knowledge of the process told FOS. The highest offer through the first round of bids closed in December was $6.3 billion. A source told FOS that there remains some concern around the league that Snyder may ultimately decide not to sell if he doesn't get closer to $7 billion. But there's still belief around the league that Snyder will sell most, if not all, of the team, especially since the potential sale has quelled the effort to remove Snyder, end quote. Okay, so there was that, and then there was this. I late night on Thursday night got an email from a friend of the Al Galdi podcast, sports business journalist Josh Kosman of the New York Post, uh, wrote Josh in the email, quote, thought I would give you a heads up that we have a new commander's sale update, end quote. And here is his reporting, quote, efforts to sell the Washington commanders aren't going well. And some NFL insiders are hoping that Jeff Bezos will deliver a game-saving play. Indications of interest from a pair of prospective buyers for the crisis-ridden football franchise have come in at the $6 billion requested by the team's controversial owner, Dan Snyder, but it's not clear whether they'll be that high in the final round, sources told on the money. Among those looking to replace Snyder is Josh Harris, the former Apollo Global Management bigwig who also owns the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils. One other mystery buyer has submitted a bid and appears to be the only other suitor, sources told the Post's Josh Kosman. They are struggling, and there are only two buyers left, a source said. They bid $6 billion each, but don't 
have the money yet. With a net worth estimated by Forbes at $6.3 billion, Harris is rich but hard-pressed to write the $1.5 billion equity check that the NFL would require for the purchase so that they own 25% of the team, according to people briefed on the matter. To close a $6 billion deal, a bidder also would be allowed to take on a maximum of a $1 billion in debt while raising $3.5 billion from multiple minority investors. That's not a problem for Bezos, whose fortune is currently pegged by Forbes at $123 billion. I think when they realize they can't get to $6 billion, they'll say to Jeff Bezos, it's yours for $6 billion. The source said, reckoning that the two current bidders may end up with offers closer to $5 billion. In the final round, end quote. All right, (laughs) a lot there. Uh, I do think that it's important to remember with all of this that the sources for reports like the reports that I just took you through almost always have agendas. And so you have to think about who benefits from leaking this stuff, from putting this stuff out there. But these reports do raise two big factors. Uh, One factor is the Dan Snyder factor. He is impulsive. He is unpredictable. And so as much as it has felt like he actually truly is selling the commanders, until the sale is done, you're not wrong to have at least some concern. I mean, you just don't know with this guy. A second factor is the Jeff Bezos factor, the founder of Amazon. His monumental wealth makes it so that he can pay just about any price that has come up for the commanders. Whether he wants to do that, whether he will do that, And to what extent Dan Snyder would go out of his way not to sell to Jeff Bezos, given that he owns the Washington Post, with which the Danny has feuded for years, we don't know. But the sale of the commanders with Jeff Bezos involved is one thing. The sale of the team without him involved is another thing. To what extent is he truly involved? We just don't know. You know, one of the things that Josh Kosman told us on this podcast episode 492 is that Bezos is interested in buying one of two NFL teams, the Commanders or the Seattle Seahawks. It may well be that Bezos is just going to wait out the sale of the Seahawks. Also, this idea that there are only two bidders right now for the Commanders, uh, that is concerning if you are Dan Snyder and you are wanting to get seven Billy for the team. If we really are down to just Josh Harris and this mystery buyer, uh, that's a concern if you're Danny and you are dead set on getting $7 billion. Look, you can drive yourself crazy with every little tidbit about the commander's sale that comes out. I do think that it's important to take a bigger picture view with everything that comes out with the sale. But, you know, it is hard to ignore the timing of what came out on Thursday, one day after a major report pointing in one direction of the sale. We got not one, but two major reports pointing in the opposite direction of the sale. And so you have to wonder who might have put this stuff out there in response to what came out on Wednesday. And maybe it is someone who is a bidder for the team. Maybe it is someone from Team Dan Snyder. I mean, we don't know. There are a lot of different possibilities with who may be leaking this stuff. But again, the timing. Wednesday, a big report pointing in one direction. 
Thursday, not one, but two reports pointing in the opposite direction. A big help is if you subscribe to, rate, and review this podcast. Uh, You can subscribe to the podcast via most platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. A subscription to the pod costs you nothing and make sure that you never miss an episode. Uh, You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying uh, that you like the podcast. The review can be just a sentence or two. Can't be more, but uh, does that have to be? And thank you very much for subscribing, rating, and reviewing. So Wednesday was quite the day with Commander's head coach, Rod Rivera. He busted out of his near month-long media silence in a major way. Ron spoke with a number of media outlets and media people. Uh, it was very easy to lose track of everything that Ron said. I, on Thursday's show, episode 504, spent a good bit of time on the biggest thing that emerged from uh, the media tour of Rod Rivera, him for the first time publicly confirming that Sam Howell is positioned to be the commander's QB1 for the 2023 season. And I highlighted what Ron said on NFL Network in an exchange with NFL Network host Andrew Siciliano. Take a listen. Ron, looking ahead, do you think your starting quarterback week one is on your roster right now? Well, I think you most certainly can be. I, I know this. We will go into OTA's minicamp and training camp uh, with Sam Howell more likely at QB1, and we'll see what happens. I mean, it's his opportunity. This is a challenge to him. You know, if he comes out and does the things that he's capable of, we believe he's capable of, he can most certainly be our guy. But we'll find out. And, again, that's what competition is going to do. It's going to bring out the best in all our guys. All right, Rod Rivera, quote, I know this, we will go into OTAs, minicamp, and training camp with Sam Howell, more than likely QB1, end quote. Well, there was more to what Rod on Wednesday said about the commander's quarterback situation in making the media rounds, and I want to spend some time on that right now. Ron appeared on Peacock's PFT Live with Mike Florio and Chris Sims. Take a listen to this exchange between Mike and Ron. Now decisions need to be made moving forward. How much of Sam Howell's performance in that final regular season game helps you decide on what the path of the position is for 23? Well, you know, to, to, to answer that, Mike, the biggest thing we decide is he will start off as QB1. He will most certainly get the first opportunity. We go into OTAs and minicamp, you know, he'll be QB1. He'll fight for that position. We'll give him every opportunity to earn it. And we'll see what happens once we get into training camp and through it. And just so I understand what that means, because we've got, I think, an unprecedented quarterback musical chairs coming yes. in free agency. You're not in that this year. No. You're out of it. No, I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, is is we have to find a guy to come in that's going to compete. You know, but in terms of finding a guy that you're going to, it's, it's going to, that you're going to have to spend a lot of capital on. No, we're, we're not looking for a guy we got to spend a lot of capital on. We're looking for a guy who's going to come in and compete first and foremost. So exact opposite of last year when you guys called yes. every team literally, which yes. was smart. Let's yep. find out who's available. That's not your business this year. It's Sam Howell with a veteran backup, which you'll, you'll find sift the, it out once the, yeah. the the music stops and the starter spots right. are all filled. We want to find the right situation, a guy that can come in and, and be that supporting guy that can really help him grow and become the guy that gives you an opportunity to win football games. Okay, so a few things right there. First of all, Rod Rivera did say that Sam Howell, quote, will start off as QB1, end quote. Uh, Also maintained that Sam has to earn the starting quarterback job, but made it clear that the QB1 spot is Sam's job to lose. I have no problem with all of this. I'm actually excited by this and went in-depth on that 
on Thursday's show. But also in that exchange was Rod Rivera essentially saying that what the commanders also will be doing at quarterback is bringing in a veteran on the cheap to compete with Sam Howell. And that is what I surmised on Thursday's show, that a Jacoby Brissett type and Andy Dalton type will be brought in via unrestricted free agency, assuming that Carson Wentz is released and that Taylor Haneke is not re-signed. He is set to be an unrestricted free agent. As I've been saying, it doesn't feel like Taylor is coming back. Uh, That certainly could change. Uh, but it doesn't feel like Taylor's coming back. And by the way, that may be by his own choice. Now, speaking of Taylor, he was on the Pat McAfee show on Thursday afternoon. He did say that he is open to re-signing with the commanders, but he also said that he was not a fan of the communication that went down with him getting benched late in the 2022 regular season in favor of Carson Wentz. Quote, it was just kind of the communication of how it all went down that I wasn't very happy about End quote. So a little jab from Tay-Tay at Ron Rivera. That was interesting. Uh, Also from Taylor was him talking about initially being named the commander's starting quarterback for what ended up being their win over the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field in week 18, but then giving way to Sam Howell. And Sam, of course, ended up starting that game and playing well. But take a listen to this from Taylor. Yeah, uh, I won't get into specifics, but... They initially made me start it that week. Um, I'm kind of sitting back and look at it and how everything kind of unfolded the last previous two weeks. Um, and the, the game really didn't mean anything for us. Um, and, you know, we've seen Sam do what he can do during practice and through, through training camp. Is he a dog ball. in there, huh? The dude, the dude's a dog. The dude can ball. Um, oh, so, so I was like, hey, got a chance to see, see what he's got. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously I'll draft him for a reason. Um, so he nice went out there and balled out. So... You know, I'm very excited for him. He's got a bright future ahead of him. He keeps working hard. So, you know, hopefully he can keep doing it. He's a player, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All the guys in the locker room believe in him. Yeah, great stuff from Taylor Heineke right there. Tay-Tay on Sam Howell, quote, the dude's a dog. And, quote, it still is amazing that Ron Rivera initially didn't think that Sam Howell was ready to start in week 18. And yet a week later, one week later, was telling offensive coordinator candidates that Sam is positioned to be the team's QB1 for next season. Quite the turnaround. But anyway, what I truly want to highlight in this segment are three thoughts off the second part from that Ron Rivera cut from PFT Live. Him essentially saying that what the commanders also will be doing at quarterback is bringing in a veteran on the cheap to compete with Sam Howell and ultimately potentially back up Sam. Uh, First of all, If included in the meaning of Ron saying that the commanders won't be spending significant capital on a quarterback is that the team won't be spending a first round pick on a quarterback to say nothing of trading up in the first round of the 2023 NFL draft to take a quarterback. Well, uh, I've got some questions about that. Does Ron feel that way because he just doesn't love the quarterbacks in the 2023 draft, or at least doesn't love the quarterbacks who are likely to be available to the commanders in the 2023 draft? Or does Ron feel this way because he just doesn't want to spend a first round pick on a quarterback? Because if the latter is the case, I've got a big problem with that. The commanders should be very open to taking a quarterback in the first round of the draft, including, yes, trading up to take a quarterback in the first round 
of the draft. Now, if the team doesn't really like the quarterbacks in the draft, or at least doesn't really like the quarterbacks who are likely to be available to the team with that number 16 overall pick or close to that number 16 overall pick, okay, that's one thing. But if Ron is out on taking a quarterback in the first round of the draft, and the reason is that he just doesn't want to spend a first round pick on a quarterback because he would rather address other positions uh, with what the team does in the draft, I don't like that. Nothing matters more than quarterback. The Commanders are a franchise quarterback needy team. And oh, by the way, this 2023 draft is perceived to be a good draft for quarterbacks. As much as I am intrigued by Sam Howell, I recognize that he's far from a sure thing. And, you know, think about it like this. The two teams playing on Sunday evening, the two teams playing in Super Bowl 57 on Sunday evening, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs are prime examples, are screaming examples of the need to be aggressive at the quarterback position and of the philosophy of always being on the lookout to upgrade at the quarterback position being a philosophy that every NFL team should employ. The Eagles spent a 2020 second round pick on Jalen Hurts when they already had and had already paid big money to Carson Wentz. The Chiefs traded up for the number 10 pick in the 2017 NFL draft to take Patrick Mahomes when they already had Alex Smith. Funny, by the way, right, how Carson and Alex ended up being Washington quarterbacks. What does that say about our team? But you get the idea. The commanders should be open to taking a quarterback in the first round of the draft, including, yes, trading up to take a quarterback in the first round of the draft. Again, unless the team just isn't that big of a fan of this quarterback class, although you can come right back at that and say, hey, Since when does Ron Rivera as Washington head coach deserve any kind of a benefit of the doubt when it comes to evaluating quarterbacks? And I hear you on that. Uh, Secondly, how about Ron Rivera telling the whole world what the commander's offseason plan (laughs) at quarterback is? Like, it's one thing to publicly position Sam Howell as the QB1 for the 2023 season, but to now also say that the team won't be spending significant capital on a quarterback. You know, that not only means that the team won't be, say, trading for Las Vegas Raiders quarterback Derek Carr or trading for Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers, but that also would seem to mean what we just talked about, that the commanders won't be spending a first-round pick on a quarterback to say nothing of trading up in the first round of the 2023 draft to take a quarterback. You should always want other NFL teams to be in the dark on your plans as much as is reasonably possible. Who knows how much that might help you in trade talks or might compel, say, a division rival to overpay in a trade or in free agency. You just don't know. I mean, one of my philosophies with NFL head coaches is WWBBD. Yes, WWBBD. What would Bill Belichick do? Bill Belichick is the greatest head coach in NFL history. Would he be telling the whole world that his team won't be spending significant capital on a quarterback? Of course not. Third thought, isn't it something how many different quarterback approaches that Ron Rivera now has used as Washington head coach. If we assume that he will, in fact, adhere to this quarterback approach for this offseason that he has laid out, we will have seen four different quarterback approaches over four offseasons. The 2020 offseason, stick with 
2019 first-round pick Dwayne Haskins would bring in a young quarterback who Ron had liked but did ultimately sour on Kyle Allen. The 2021 offseason, don't spend big resources on a quarterback because you don't have to have a great quarterback to do great. Remember that? Uh, But bring in a dependable veteran. And so Washington, after only going so far to try to trade for Matthew Stafford but losing out on trading for him, signed Ryan Fitzpatrick as an unrestricted free agent. Uh, The 2022 offseason, yeah, you know what? We need a franchise quarterback. Go all in, in an all-out search for a franchise quarterback. The commander swung and missed on trading for Russell Wilson. Thank goodness for that. Uh, But then quickly pivoted to trading for Carson Wentz. And now in this 2023 offseason, we have like a combination of the 2020 and 2021 offseasons and not spending big resources at quarterback, leaning toward a second-year guy in Sam Howell, but also wanting to sign a veteran quarterback on the cheap. Notice, not once, not once has the approach of spending a first-round pick on a quarterback been employed, even though most franchise quarterbacks are, yes, first-round picks. Look, there's a caveat to all of this, okay? And that is that Rod Rivera could change his mind at any moment, all right? He, over his three years as Washington head coach, has changed his mind quite a bit. But for now, given what he's saying, this is where we are. Well, if where you are is in a place in which you're trying to grow your business or practice, consider advertising on the Al Galdi podcast. Podcast advertising is very affordable, much more so than radio and television advertising, and podcast advertising works. Email us, see what we can do for you. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, the media tour of Commander's head coach Ron Rivera on Wednesday also included something that, at least to me, was surprising. 
Uh, Ron saying that he hasn't yet decided whether he'll exercise the fifth-year option in edge defender Chase Young's rookie contract. Uh, Ron said that not exercising that fifth-year option could serve as motivation for Chase. And Ron multiple times used the example of interior defensive lineman Deron Payne. The commander's Last offseason, not only did not sign Duran to a contract extension despite the 2022 season being the final season of his rookie contract, the commander's last offseason, by all indications, never even offered Duran a contract extension. In other words, the commander's last offseason had no interest in signing Duran Payne to a contract extension. Now, I actually wasn't that mad about that because Duran, over his first four NFL seasons, 2018 through 2021, was a good player, but not a great player. He was not a consistent player. You know, Washington, in a lot of ways, had overinvested in its defensive line in terms of having spent so many first-round picks and NFL drafts on defensive linemen, but not gotten the results of very good defenses. And so not signing Duran to a contract extension last offseason wasn't without merit. But as I always say with a valued player like a Duran Payne, if you're not going to sign him, then you need to trade him. Because if you do neither, then that puts you on the path of the franchise tag. And we know how that works out. See quarterback Kirk Cousins, see right guard Brandon Sheriff. But it's one extreme or another. You either sign the guy or you trade the guy if the guy is a valued player. And Deron Payne was and is a valued player. Well, the commanders with Deron Payne last offseason neither signed him to a contract extension nor traded him. Uh, He, of course, had a monster 2022 season. And now it sure seems as if the commanders are going to wind up slapping him with a franchise tag or the transition tag. But Ron's point was that Deron responded well to not getting extended. So why not chase Young? And to that, uh, I would say a few things. Well, you start with this, not exercising the fifth-year option on a player, especially one on whom you spent the number two overall pick in the 2020 NFL draft, as the Redskins did with Chase Young, is a major indictment of that player. You can dress up not exercising the fifth-year option however you want, but the bottom line is that not exercising the fifth-year option on a player is a big-time indictment of that player. It is debatable whether the commanders should exercise their fifth-year option on Chase Young. We on Tuesday evening learned that the cost of this option for Chase will be $17.452 million. I know that that sounds like a lot of money, and it is, but if Chase gets back to being a durable and very good edge defender, as he was in his 2020 rookie season, then the $17.452 million for his 2024 season actually isn't so bad, especially with the salary cap continuing to rise by at least $10 million each season. But Chase getting back to being a durable and very good edge defender is a big if. It was encouraging to see Chase play pretty well over his three games this season, but of course it was very discouraging that he only played in three games this season. His right knee clearly got ravaged when he got hurt in that win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field all the way back on November 14th, 2021. But I find this issue of motivation to be especially noteworthy with Chase Young. So Chase has the reputation for being a hard worker. It's not like Chase is known 
to be someone who's a slacker or anything like that. Like every indication is that no, Chase Young does work hard. But we all remember what happened in his 2021 season. Chase Young did not adhere to the defensive scheme. And the result was a very disappointing second NFL season for him prior to his torn right knee. I wonder how much of Ron Rivera publicly dangling this fifth-year option in front of Chase Young is Ron's way of sending a message to Chase of, remember, you need to play the right way. And if you do, then we will reward you. Keep in mind, Ron has taken to publicly sending messages to Chase before. What was wild about Chase Young suffering that torn right knee in that win over the Bucks on November 14th, 2021, is that that game took place off Ron Rivera having been very open publicly about Chase's struggles that season. So that win over the Bucks happened on November 14th, 2021. Ron Rivera, in a piece that came out on November 4th, 2021, on the team's official website, essentially put Chase Young and fellow at defender Montez Sweat on blast. Quote, we would like to see a little bit more from those guys. They need to stop pressing and trust their teammates. End quote. Then Ron, in a post-practice press conference on November 8th, 2021, spent the bulk of the near 17-minute presser answering questions about Chase Young and being very upfront and specific about Chase's struggles and what he could do better. Ron Rivera has not been shy about talking about Chase Young publicly. Now, should Ron be so public in talking about Chase? Should Ron be so public in criticizing Chase and or sending messages to Chase and or trying to motivate Chase? Well, that all depends, okay? Because it may well be that Ron has tried to get to Chase privately and Chase just has not responded to that or Chase just has not listened to that. But, you know, it's impossible for me to hear and read about Ron Rivera on Wednesday dangling this fifth-year option in front of Chase Young so publicly and not go back to 2021 and not think that there is some larger messaging going on here. Well, believe it or not, the Capitals have not played a game in this month of February. Uh, The Caps' last game was on January 31st, as this season, the Caps' bye week immediately followed the NHL All-Star break. But the Caps' this weekend have two games uh, at the NHL-leading Boston Bruins Saturday afternoon at 3.30 and home to the San Jose Sharks on Super Bowl Sunday afternoon at 1.30. It has been quite the season for the Caps so far. A lot to take in, and so here to help us do that is Caps insider Tarek Elbashir of The Athletic. He also serves as a rinkside reporter for TNT's coverage of the NHL. You can follow Tarek on Twitter at Tarek underscore Elbashir. Tarek, it's great to talk to you. How are you? Al, I'm doing great. Um, it, it's funny, when you reached out to me, it reminded me, uh-oh, it's time to go back to work here after a, <laughs> a nice little week-long break. <laughs> I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Do you think that the Caps liked having their bye week immediately following the All-Star break, or would they have preferred to have had the bye week at another time? I I think the bye week came at a good time for the Capitals. Um, You know, they had been up and down for the month of January. They're the oldest team in the league at 30.9 years, so basically 31 years old. Um, You know, I, I think... 
for obvious reasons, a little extra rest helps older bodies recover. I think you're going to see a, a, a team that looks more refreshed on the other side of this. I, I mean, if I were making the rules, just having covered this league for 20 years and seeing how it's gotten more physical and more physically demanding, um, you know, the travel's gotten a little bit easier, but but everything else is still really hard. I and mean, these games are so intense now. The guys are so big. I think two bye weeks would actually serve um, serve the players and and eventually the fans well and, and better because you'd have a higher level of play for for longer sustained periods of time. So um, I don't think Gary Bettman's listening to me, but I, I'll tell you this: the the, the Capitals definitely appreciated uh, getting this break at this time. I like that idea. Each NHL team having a couple of bye weeks over the course of a season. Uh, Like I said earlier, it has been quite the season for the Caps. Uh, The team, though, is 27-20-6. Do you think that Senior Vice President and General Manager Brian McClellan and Head Coach Peter Laviolette right now feel better or worse about this Caps team as compared to how those guys felt about the team coming into the season? You know, I'm probably scratching my head a little bit. Um... And and not to evade your question, I, I I really think they're still trying. You know, it's kind of like hands and shoulders shrug. You know, hands up, shoulders <laughs> shrug. Like, what, what do we have here? You know, what what is this team? You know, they were they were not very good in October and November, and then in December they were the best team in the league, or tied with the Carolina Hurricanes for the best team in the league. I mean, just laying waste to everyone. Eleven two and two. You know, they still had injury issues, but they just seemed to click. They were getting good goaltending. The the defense was stingy. The offense was scoring four times a night. Um, you know, they look like I, I, juggernaut's probably too strong a word, but they look like a team that was going to contend for um, easily contend for a playoff spot and might be able to do something in the postseason. And then January comes around, and Nicholas Backstrom comes back in the lineup, and Tom Wilson comes back in the lineup, and so things get kind of scrambled. Guys are getting scratched. The mojo was disrupted. You know, it's you know, sorry to borrow a star wars phrase that i'm probably going to screw this up but there was like a disturbance in the force right something happened and things were thrown off kilter and they were basically a 500 team which is you know probably closer to what they really are i think given that three months have been eh, and one month was on fire um but you know fortunately for them they're in a playoff spot as this break comes to an end and um it's up to them i mean it's in their hands um if they win six out of 10 games the rest of the way they're in, you know, if, if they don't, you know, they're, they're going to be uh, lamenting a season. They like slip away. Well, you mentioned uh, the mojo of the caps being disrupted. Uh, the man known as mojo is second on the caps and goals. Winger Alex Ovechkin, of course, is in the midst of yet another very good season. He, in this regular season has a team leading 32 goals, but the caps next highest goal scorer is winger Marcus Johansson, with 13, is the lack of secondary scoring a major concern, or do the injuries explain why more caps don't have more goals? You know, I, I would say um, getting back to that hot December, you know, you, you know, one I mentioned that they played good defense. I mentioned that they got good backup goaltending from Charlie Lindgren, who had to step in for Darcy Kemper. But the other thing that really buoyed them in, in December was secondary scoring. I mean, Eric Gustafson had, I want to say, six or seven goals, including a hat trick. You know, know, this is your sixth defenseman. He's out there carrying the offensive load for you guys. You know, John Carlson went down and he stepped in and, 
you know, he's not John Carlson, but he he, he did really well for himself. Probably earned himself um, a, a, a decent penny on his extension. You know, whether it comes here or or elsewhere. Connor Sheary was great. Um, uh, Marcus Johansson was great. Nick Dowd had six goals in the month. I mean, a lot happened. Um, uh, secondary scoring wise, to kind of you know generate those four goals a game that they had in December, and then you look at. January and the secondary scoring dried up and once again it was on Alex's shoulders and you know he played okay he played pretty well in 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 January but without that secondary scoring the the goals for dived and all of a sudden even though they were still playing good defense if you're only scoring 2.7 goals as opposed to four it's a three and two league now you're losing and you're winning and then you're losing and then you're winning and it's kind of a a toss-up. There was no bigger move by the Caps last offseason than the signing of unrestricted free agent goaltender Darcy Kemper, a five-year, $26.25 million contract. He was brought to the Caps to be their franchise goaltender. If you had to give him a grade for his work so far this season, what would that grade be? You know, I'd give him a B. Um, uh, you know, it wasn't it wasn't his fault that he got elbowed in the head um, uh, in Calgary in, in early December and missed a, a, a ton of time. Um, I think he's been good to very good. Um, I think there's been a little bit of inconsistency. I mean, when you look at the fact that he's been pulled a couple of times, but he also has a league best five shutouts. You know, he's had some unbelievably great nights and some nights where you're like, ah, he, he wasn't on. I think that's kind of a a little bit of function of um, the, the play in front of him, the team in front of him has been inconsistent. Um, you know, he's got a 915 save percentage now. It had been around a 920 for most of the year, which is which is A minus, you know, goaltending. And that's why it's kind of slid into that B territory. Um, uh, for me, at least, uh, I, I think what he has done, though, um, uh, and the reason he's, he's earning that big paycheck is he's brought – a measure of consistency and reliability to a position that was a little scrambly the past few years. Now, if you really want to take a, a deep dive on goaltending, I guess the question is also, Vitek Vanacek got traded away. Ilya Samsonov was told, take a hike. They're also playing outstanding. So, like, what's going on here? Maybe those are two young guys who needed a change of scenery, but they're playing well for their respective teams. Samsonov in Toronto, BTEC in New Jersey. Um, you know, Kemper's been good, and Lindgren's been a bit of a surprise. He was an unknown. No one really knew what, they were, what you were going to get from him. He kind of saved the season for this team in December. So, it's kind of a wash. But if we're being honest, like, you still kind of look around and you're like, how did those other two guys leave and get better? Like, what happened? Yeah, and as I'm sure you know, a criticism of the Caps has been that they don't do a good enough job of developing young players. Is that a valid criticism? You know, I, I don't know if if development is the right word. I, I would think that I, I do feel like their patience has been kind of thin with young players. But that's not... That's not someone upstairs or someone behind the bench going, uh, you know, I don't have time for these kids. Get out of here, kids. You know, it, it's not that. It's, hey, we got an older team that is designed to win right now. We can't wait any longer for Ilya Samsonov and Vitek Vanacek to get good and get consistent. We can't wait anymore. Alex is old. He's got two kids. You know, like like he's, he's 37. We can't wait any longer for these guys to get their stuff together. But then you also look around and you're like, Jonas Siegenthaler has turned into a, quite a defenseman in New Jersey. How did you miss on that? 
Chandler Stevenson was an all-star this year. You kind of missed on that. I mean, there are some guys that, that you've missed on, but, you know, I, I think if you were to run this by the decision makers of the Capitals, they would, they would give you an equally long list of guys they moved moved away from that or moved on from who, you know, went went on to you know not do a whole lot. But I, I wouldn't say it's a failure of development necessarily. It's more like just it's a function of being an older team that's primed to win now. And I, but I think in retrospect, and everything is twenty twenty when when you look around, right? I, you know, I, I think maybe there are a few guys they should have they should have shown some more patience with. And I think atop that list, you know, we spoke with the goaltenders, but I'd say, well, I would say atop that list would be Jonas Siegenthaler and and Chandler Stevenson. Those are two guys that I, you know, they would have solved a lot of problems if they were still on this team. There's no doubt about that. We're talking with Capitals insider Tarek El-Bashir of The Athletic. Who do the Caps need more from over the course of the rest of their season? Yeah, Al, there's there's definitely some some guys who need to do more. Uh, you know, I, I would say at the top of that list is Evgeny Kuznetsov. You know, he's been a point-per-game guy um, for, for the most part. You know, he, he, assists-wise, he, he's on track. But goal-scoring-wise, for a player who makes that kind of money, who makes seven point eight million dollars? He's got to, He's got to produce more in the goal scoring department. Now, you know, I, I've asked Coach Peter Lavilla, "What's going on there? Why isn't he scoring goals at the rate he had in previous years? His shooting percentage is is, is a is a career low. I believe it's under six. I mean, that's almost like unfathomable for a player of his ability. But again, that kind of goes to the randomness of hockey, right? I mean, it's it's a game played on ice. You hit posts. You know, shots hit sticks." Um, uh, you know, it's, it, it, Laviolette said, I, I don't, it, it doesn't look to me like he's not putting himself in position to score more goals. It looks like he's snake bit. And that's probably a, a term that, that you hear a little bit more in, in, in sports in general. It, it just, things aren't going in for him this year. He needs to turn that around. He needs to figure out how to get more. If, if that means going to the net, if that means getting to the dirty areas, getting to the interior a little more, they need him to get into double digits and goals here if they're going to get anywhere. Anthony Mantha, another player. I want to see more from him. I, you know, I, I think that the analytics show that he's been a decent player. He knows he can give more. The team knows he can give more. Um, uh, you know, it, it's going to be important for him to step up. Um, Darcy Kemper needs to get back to, to you know, being a top goaltender. He, you know, for the most part, he's been good. He needs to be very good to, to great down the stretch. And finally, they need to get John Carlson back. You know, um, every team can withstand an injury or two for a certain amount of time. You know, you can put Eric Gustafson, you know, an $800,000 player in John Carlson's spot, an $8 million player. And for a while, they're like, okay, he's doing it. But there's a reason why one is a you know a, a, an all star level player and one's not, and you start to see that after five, six, seven games, you start to miss what John Carlson brings on a nightly basis, and um, you know he's got a big doctor's appointment coming up at the end of this month. You know he was struck on the side of the head by a ninety mile an hour slap shot, as as I'm sure everyone saw. Um, he's got a big checkup coming up here in about uh, two and a half weeks, and. You know, that's going to determine whether he's going to be able to play again this season or not. And if he is able to play, they're probably not going to do a whole lot at the trade deadline. If he's not, they got to be aggressive and go get a, a top pairing defenseman rental who can help them get through. 
Yeah, it's funny with all of these injuries with the Caps this season. On the one hand, what do you expect? This is the oldest team in the NHL. But on the other hand, something like what happened with defenseman John Carlson, him having been struck on the side of the head slash face by a slap shot by Winnipeg Jets defenseman Brendan Dillon uh, all the way back on December 23rd. I mean, that's just bad luck. Uh, so the Caps may not have played a game in this month of February, but the Caps last Friday morning, February 3rd, announced the re-signing of forward Dylan Strome to a five-year, $25 million contract extension. And the Caps last Saturday evening announced the re-signing of forward Sonny Milano to a three-year, $5.7 million contract extension. Did either extension surprise you? No, I, I I did get the sense that uh, they were they were working on uh, an extension with Strome. I, I know... Brian McClellan, um, he admired Strom from afar before he was on the team. So when they got him um, in the offseason, when they signed him, it was almost like an audition. You know, it, for, for Dylan, it was a it was a um, uh, it was a prove it deal. For the Capitals, it was like we like you, but we want to see it before we give you you know more. And uh, he's been very good. Uh, he's been very good. He's been a good fit in the room. Um, uh, you know, he, he's been, you know, he's a center who can also play wing, but he's really fit in nicely, um, in that second, uh, uh, center spot. And when he's needed to play with Alex, he's played a lot with, with Alex. He's done well there too. Um, he's been able to help on the power play when there's been injuries. Um, he's just been very good. Um, and so they were able to get him at five years, uh, $5 million per, they probably went a little longer on term to bring down that annual average uh, salary, um, which, you know, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a win for both sides. Uh, you, you know, Strom had kind of bounced around for a few years, former number three overall pick didn't really gain a tra- gain any traction, um, in Arizona, got dealt to the Blackhawks. The Blackhawks let him go because they thought his number was going to come in too high in arbitration. So it, it's worked out. And so the funny, the interesting thing about Strom is he's now signed longer than anyone on the Capitals. So you huh. can kind of see huh. as they are kind of, they're starting to they're not ready to start retooling, but you can see that they're starting to look down the road a little bit. And Strom, if, if, if he continues to play well, he's going to be a linchpin or a centerpiece to that retooling, that post Ovechkin retooling um, uh, era. Um, as far as Milano, they were smart to resign him now because he's been playing so well. They got him at three years, uh, an average of one point nine million. If he continued to play on the pace that he's been playing, he was going to be a two and a half. $3 million player in the offseason. Again, I think they, I don't want to say took advantage, but, you know, I, I spoke to Milano's agent and, uh, uh, you know, he was a player who also bounced around a little bit and was looking for a home and feels like he's fit in really well here. And sure, he could have, he could have he waited till the offseason to, um, uh, you know, ca- I'm doing air quotes here, cash in, but he felt like there's a good fit here. It's a winning team. He likes the city. He took what they offered um, uh, and, and is very pleased about it. I may be searching for something that just isn't there in bringing this up, but you look at Dylan Strom, the Arizona Coyotes took him with the number three pick in the 2015 NHL draft, but the Caps are his third NHL team. He actually was non-tendered by the Chicago Blackhawks. You look at Sonny Milano, he was taken by the Columbus Blue Jackets, number 16 pick in the 2014 NHL draft. The Caps are his third NHL team. But here we are now, and both Strom and Milano have just signed contract extensions. The Caps have taken two first-round busts and turned them into productive players. And the Caps did this with winger Brett Connolly a few seasons ago as well. Is this a market inefficiency? 
that the Caps have astutely exploited, you know, signing first round busts on the cheap, rehabbing them, and turning them into decent, if not good players. You're not overstating it. Um, there definitely is a trend there. And, you know, let's take Milano, um, uh, for, for example. Look, he was drafted by Columbus. He didn't really mesh with John Tortorella. He's a hothead, and he just didn't mesh there. It didn't work out. Went to Anaheim, team of kids. They weren't doing well. There was no leadership. There was no, I should say there was no leadership. No one really took him under their wing and said, here's how you got to do it. You know, as a quality hockey player, sometimes you just, you just need an older person to say, hey, listen, kid, here's how you do it. Didn't work there. Comes here to a strong room with, with, a, with a winning culture, Nicholas Backstrom, Alex Ovechkin, John Carlson, guys who won it recently, know how to win it. And it, it just kind of, that, that veteran core took him under their wing and said, look, you're 26 years old. It's time to, it's time to you know, kind of solidify everything and put everything together. Um, and also having Peter Laviolette. And that's something Milano has told me, you know, off to the side, not, you know, not with a recorder in his face, it's off to the side. You know, Laviolette has helped him, has really helped him kind of uh, find his game and become more consistent. But yeah, you know, the Capitals have done it with a number of players. And Brett Connolly probably was, I don't want to say the first, but he was the, the biggest one before these two. But you're right. It's, it's almost like they're a rehab facility. I mean, they, gotta, <laughs> they, guys, you know, they take other teams' first round picks and they, and they rehab them a little bit. Um, um, you know, Strom, same thing. But again, it's the fact that, you know, they come into, and you look at Strom's background too. I mean, you know, he came from. You know, Arizona, which is a, you know, on a good day, a tire fire in terms of, you know, where they are in the standings. And then the Blackhawks were in a, a team in transition. Sure, they had Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane and back then, you know, Alex Debrinkit. They had some good players, but, you know, they weren't winning either. And then you come here to a team that has a standard, an expectation, um, you know, good leadership. And you end up with guys who were kind of, you know, maybe rudderless a little bit, needed some direction got the direction they needed, and now they're thriving. Excellent insight. Caps insider Tarek El-Bashir of The Athletic. Uh, Tarek, thanks a lot for doing this. All the best. Give me a call anytime, Al. My pleasure. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 506. We'll have a lot for you on the Commanders. Also, we'll talk Capitals. The Caps this weekend, two games at the NHL leading Boston Bruins Saturday afternoon at 3.30 and home to the San Jose Sharks on Sunday afternoon at 1.30. I'll talk Wizards, the Wizard home to the Indiana Pacers Saturday night at 7. And I'll talk college basketball, Maryland is home to Penn State Saturday at noon. Georgetown is home to number 10 Marquette Saturday at noon. Number 8 Virginia is home to Duke Saturday afternoon at 4. And Virginia Tech is at Notre Dame Saturday afternoon at 2. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. And we always want to know one thing, what's causing all this? Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.